Archdiocese of Sioux Falls Office of Adult Faith Formation, this is the Prairie Rome Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald. Hello and welcome to this eighth episode of Prairie Rome Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and as I mentioned last time in episode seven, I was hoping then to get into a discussion about uh, why the incarnation? Why did the Word become flesh? Uh, fortunately, we ran out of ran out of time uh, in that episode, so we are going to pick up the topic here in episode eight. And episode nine, just looking ahead, we will have an interview again with Father Martin Lawrence, our diocesan liturgical master of ceremonies in the Diocese of Sioux Falls, and Father Martin, uh, who spoke with us. A couple of episodes ago regarding the liturgical season of Advent, we'll be speaking this time about the liturgical season of Christmas. That is the feast and the entire season of Christmas. Uh, that's episode nine. But again, today, for, for rather for this topic, for this episode, we will look at uh, the, the topic, why did the word become flesh? And as always, I, I want to encourage any, any feedback that those uh, who are listening to these podcasts uh, might have. You can feel probably the easiest way to contact me is by email. Uh, Chris, or, sorry, C Bergwald, that's C B U R G W A L D at S F Catholic.org. S is in Sam, F is in Frank, Catholic.org. C Bergwald at SF Catholic.org. Probably the easiest way to contact me. You can also reach me by phone at 605-988-3763. But please, any, any questions you might have, any ideas for topics for the podcast, um, comments on, on, on past episodes of Prairie Rome Companion, uh, I, I, I encourage and would appreciate uh, constructive criticism, um, uh, as well as any other comments that anybody might have. And just looking ahead as well, after episode nine, we'll be taking uh, a couple weeks off for the, well, for the, the, the Christmas holiday and uh, New Year's. And we'll come back uh, with, the, with episode 10, probably somewhere around the, the week of January 7th. I think the 7th is a Sunday, I believe. So I hope some, some, at some point during that week to get the next episode uh, we'll be getting the next episode, episode 10, taped um, and and online at that point. Again, though, uh, we'll have episode 9, the interview with Father Martin up, Lawrence, before that. So, without further ado, then, let's turn to the topic at hand for this episode. Why did the Word become flesh? And basically, what I want to do, uh, for the most part, is offer a commentary on, on what the catechism, how the, the catechism of the Catholic Church answers this question. You know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which uh, has we've had for a number of years now, uh, the first edition was published in English in 1994, and then the definitive, definitive second edition was published in, I believe, 1997. The Catechism is really a great resource uh, for, of course, Catholics to learn more about their faith, but even for, for those who aren't Catholic but are interested in what the Church teaches, the Catechism has virtually all the answers. Now, it, it doesn't, in, in some cases, it's, it's, it's usually sufficiently thorough, I guess is the best way to put it. On, on most doctrinal questions, it's going to be sufficiently thorough. There's always more that can be said about almost every doctrine that, that the Catechism covers, of course. And sometimes people might have a, a, a special interest. They really, really, really want to get into the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty of, of why the Church teaches what it does about a particular doctrine. 
and then they'll need to go beyond the catechism. But I think the catechism is always a good starting point for for what the church teaches. Well, it is always a good starting point for what the church teaches uh, when it comes to matters of faith and of morals. And and so what I want to do here is offer, as I said, a commentary on how the catechism answers the question, why did the word become flesh? And in fact, that's a question posed within the very text of the catechism. Uh, the first part of the catechism, the catechism is divided into four parts, for those of you who may not be uh, uh, proficient, so to speak, with the catechism. The first part, or the first pillar, as it's referred to, uh, looks at the creed, uh, the 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 proclamation of faith which Catholics recite every Sunday, the Nicene Creed in particular, and elaborates, use that, uses that as a starting point for an elaboration, <clears throat> excuse me, of the of the, the much of the content of what Catholics believe. The second pillar turns to the liturgy and the sacraments of the church and, and the church's doctrinal teaching on that. The third pillar is on life in Christ, so the church's moral teachings. And the, finally, the fourth pillar, uh, just as indispensable as the other three, is on prayer, what the church teaches about uh, prayer. I, again, I recommend if you have a question about what the church teaches, uh, you, if you're a Catholic who wants to learn more about your faith, if you're somebody who's not Catholic who wants to learn what the church, Catholic Church has to say about a particular doctrine, to, to definitely investigate the catechism. And, and the, the question, why did the word become flesh, is addressed in the first pillar of the catechism. Uh, the third article, there are 12 articles in the Nicene Creed. The third article is, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. And, and under that heading, the Catechism addresses this particular question. And, and if you want to look these up, it's paragraphs 456 through 460 uh, in particular that answer the question, why did the word become flesh? And what I want to do here then in this episode of Prairie Rome Companion is just go through these, uh, these, these paragraphs in the Catechism uh, and discuss them uh, in a little greater detail and, and flesh them out and elaborate on them uh, as best we're able to do in, in the space of about half an hour. So the, the Catechism begins by answering the question in paragraph 456 by stating, With the Nicene Creed, we be answer by confessing, For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Look, looking at that from the beginning, with the Nicene Creed, we answer by confessing. You know, the, the, the creed is a confession of faith, not confession in the sense of when we go to a priest and, and confess our sins. It's a confession of faith saying, this is what I believe, and this is as, as an individual Christian, as an individual Catholic, and then also this is what we believe as the community of believers, that is the church. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the Word of the Father, uh, came down from heaven for us men and for our salvation. And then it goes on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary as when, and was made man. Now usually we the, the creed, the English translation of the creed was, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary is a little bit more precise and and more technically accurate because, well, it's obviously true that uh, Jesus, the, the the Son of God, was born of the Virgin Mary, 
the incarnation began prior to the birth. It began at the his conception in the womb of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He became one of us. In other words, he took on our human nature. Incarnation goes to, to, to be incarnated means to, to enter into flesh in a literal sense. The Son of God became a human being, like us in all things but sin, as Scripture tells us and as, as the church in turn teaches us. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He didn't lose anything of what it means to be God in the incarnation. It would be impossible for God to cease to be God. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, being fully God, equal to the Father and the Spirit, didn't lose his divinity. He didn't become less than God in the incarnation. He remains 100% God. But he is also completely human. He is a man, a true man, true God and true man, uh, 100% man as well. In other words, Jesus of Nazareth isn't half God, half man. He is full God and full man. True God and true man. Uh, There is no other way to put it succinctly than that. Jesus Christ, Jesus from Nazareth, the incarnate word is true God and true man. And and I think especially as we prepare to celebrate the Christmas season, this is uh, obviously an appropriate time for us to reflect on, on the glory and the wonder of the incarnation. The eternal God would become a human being, uh, would become one of us. You know, the, the, I, there's an analogy that, I've, that I often use, and maybe I've already used it in an episode, I'm not sure, but it's an apt one, so I'm going to use it again. We're going to talk here about the, the Catechism gives four reasons for the incarnation, but I want to speak just more generally um, about why the word became flesh or the or the, the the glory of the fact that the awe-inspiring nature of the incarnation can we imagine uh, if you, if you think most of us have had pets at one point or another so we'll take the one of the classical pets uh, a goldfish can we could you could you imagine if you have a, a goldfish as your pet ever becoming a goldfish to show your love for your for your goldfish to your goldfish. In other words, wanting so much to show your love for your goldfish that you were willing to become a goldfish to do so. Uh, it's a little bit of a funny idea, I know, but but that gives a, a an a hint, an infinitesimal infinitesimal hint as to the nature of the incarnation. God loved us so much, for God so loved the world, as as that famous gospel verse, John three sixteen says. God so loved the world that he became a human being. He, the, the eternal creator became a creature or took on the nature of a creature to show his love to that creature. And, and if you think about the distance between the difference, the distance in a sense between us and a goldfish, it is literally infinitesimal compared to the distance between God and and a human being between God and man. What it is for God to become human is infinitely is an infinitely greater leap so to speak than it is for a human to become a fish or anything else for that. For if we could become uh 
anything, ant, uh, I mean, any, literally any, any other created substance, an atom. If we, want, if we were able to become uh, uh, an atom or an electron, I mean, if you're giving either in smaller scale, that is, is nothing compared to what it means for God to become man. And especially, as I said, as we finish Advent and, and begin to celebrate the season of Christmas, we should allow that wonder and that awe to penetrate our hearts. The, the meaning, uh, the beauty, the love of the Incarnation. Okay. Take take a moment if you're able to some sometime Christmas Eve or Christmas Day uh, or and the rest of the Christmas season to reflect on, on the profound love that God must have for each one of us and for all of us uh, that He would become one of us to reveal His love for us to us. So, but what does the Catechism say? As I said. Uh, it offers four reasons, and I sort of already alluded to one, but we'll tra- treat them in the order that the Catechism does. 457 in the Catechism tells us that the Word became flesh for us in order to save us by reconciling us with God. In order to save us by reconciling us with God. God who loved us and sent His Son to be the expiation for our sins. And it goes on, The Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. And he was revealed to take away sins. So first and foremost, the word became flesh. God took on human nature to save us of our sins. Uh, we, 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 we cannot save ourselves. Human beings, by our own power, by our own resources, are unable to, we were unable to save ourselves from our sins. Uh, they are a part of us. We, we can't, of our own power, get rid of them. The Catechism offers a quote from the early church theologian and saint, St. Gregory of Nyssa, who says, or who wrote, rather, Sick, our nature demanded to be healed. Fallen, to be raised up. Dead, to rise again. We had lost the possession of the good. It was necessary for it to be given back to us. Closed in the darkness, it was necessary to bring us the light Captives, we awaited a savior. Prisoners, help. Slaves, a liberator. Are these things minor or insignificant? Did they not move God to descend to human nature and visit it, since humanity was in so miserable and unhappy a state? That's St. Gregory of Nyssa again from paragraph 457 in the Catechism. We, We need... We were enslaved to our sins and and we had no 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 ability of our own accord to free ourselves from those sins and so as as saint gregory wrote we needed a, a liberator uh, we needed a savior to free us from our sins to reconcile us with the father the catechism goes on to offer another reason for the incarnation the word became flesh so that thus we might know God's love. And this gets back to sort of my analogy between the goldfish and us and then God and us. God became flesh to reveal his love for us, to show us the depth of his love. I mean, God had been working through all of human history, preparing for the incarnation, but always revealing his love. But at a certain point in history, some 2,000 years ago, that manifestation of his love 
literally became incarnate. God so loved us, so loves us, that he became one of us to reveal his love to us. The Catechism cites uh, for the letter of 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then offers, the, again, that classical passage, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you can see that this this, uh, second reason piggybacks on the first. First, God loves us so much that he offered himself to us as a human being, became a human being, took on human nature, more more technically, uh, to free us from our sins and to reveal his love to us. And the Catechism goes on to offer... A third reason for the Incarnation, in paragraph 459, the Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. So God, God in the Old Testament presented to us all these, these teachings, these moral teachings. But with the Incarnation, uh, he, he doesn't just teach us how, he, how we are to live for our own sake our own happiness, but he, he, he goes so far as to become one of us, to show us, to model to us the life that he wants us to live, to be, again, our model of holiness. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Those are from Matthew eleven twenty nine, and then John fourteen six, And the Catechism goes on. On the mountain of tra- the transfiguration, the Father commands, listen to him. Jesus is the model for the Beatitudes and the norm of the new law. Love one another as I have loved you. This love implies an effective offering of oneself after his example. So when we, as followers of Jesus, when we want to know how we are to live, how, ought, how we are how we ought to live. How are we supposed to follow what God asks of us? He, he, he offers to us a living example, his own son in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. We look to Jesus as, as the one who gave us the Beatitudes, but who lived the Beatitudes as well. Jesus who gives us the new law of the gospel, but who lives that new law as well. Jesus who gives us the, the, the law of ultimate love, to lay down your life for your friends, and the one who literally embodied that law as well. Again, by, by reflecting on, by praying on, by meditating on Jesus' own life, we can find for ourselves an example, a model of, of what it means to be a follower of his and what it means to become holy. Uh, there is no, obviously nobody, no human being who is holier than our Lord. Uh, he obviously fulfilled uh, in, in a unsurpassable manner what it means to be human, what it means to, to obey the Father. And, and there is uh, no greater model to follow than our Lord. As as great as Mary is the model of discipleship, the model of one who follows Jesus, model of of the one to follow Jesus, and and to get to be technically precise, she is the greatest human person. 
Jesus isn't a, a human person. He's a divine person with a human nature. And we can get into that distinction another time. Mary is the greatest human person, but in t- terms of the greatest human being, uh, one with the human nature, Jesus is, is the, the model of holiness. And that brings us to the fourth reason for the incarnation, the fourth answer to the question, why did the word become flesh, as the catechism provides them. That's, this is in paragraph 460, really to me the most provocative of the four, uh, especially, I think, uh, for, for those of us who um, haven't studied these answers before. The first three, they sound familiar. We've probably heard that at one time or another in, in, in a ser- Sunday sermon or some other religious context. But the fourth answer is, uh, well, sometimes maybe referred to, rarely in my experience, at least, has it been dwelt upon, uh, but it is, it is uh, quite an answer to this question, as we'll see here uh, right now. Paragraph 460 in the Catechism says, The Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. The Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. And there's a, a, a site there, a, a reference to Scripture, partakers of the divine nature, is from the second letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. Second Peter 1, 4. Uh, the Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. And then the rest of the article is, is three quotes from three great theologian saints in church history. St. Irenaeus, St. Athanasius, and St. Thomas Aquinas. Irenaeus and Athanasius being early church saints and St. Thomas Aquinas being the great medieval doctor of, of theology, the great uh, saint uh, who is probably most well known for his, his great work, the Summa Theologiae, uh, which he, he wrote uh, over the course of many years, actually dying before he was able to, to finish it. In any case, the, the catechism to elaborate on what it means to say that the Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature, without comment, offers quotes from these three great saints. Uh, St. Irenaeus, who wrote in the 2nd or 3rd century. Uh, St. Athanasius, who, who lived at the end of the... Th- end of the 3rd, beginning of the 4th century. And then again, Thomas Aquinas from the medieval period, the 13th century. The first quote is from Irenaeus, the, 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 er, the first of the three saints. For this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. So the Word became man, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. So when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we are baptized into Christ. When we're we're baptized, we are joined to Christ, and somehow we're changed. Our souls are, uh, the the imagery the church uses, our souls are marked. Or, or sealed, uh, to use a more scriptural image, um, by an indelible mark, an indelible seal. Uh, of course, the spell is spiritual, but but we're using the imagery as best as we can. Something about our our human nature, our soul, is changed by our baptism. 
when we are joined to Christ. And when that happens, we receive at that point, we become rather an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God. We, we, we begin to share in what God is, in God's own life. We become his adoptive sons and daughters by virtue of our baptism. And this again, elaborating on what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. We, we, we begin to share in God's being somehow, in his life somehow, to the degree that we become referred to as adoptive sons and daughters of the Father. That's St. Irenaeus, Irenaeus, excuse me. St. Athanasius is, is much more perfunctory, much more succinct, saying pretty much the same thing, but in a much more stark manner, in a sense. He says, for the Son of God became man, so that we might become God. For the Son of God became man, so that we might become God. Now, the first time I ever heard this idea uh, was in my, my own undergrad course on the theology of Jesus Christ, Christology, uh, with Dr. Scott Hahn, who's, who's well, a well-known Catholic writer and speaker who teaches at the Franciscan at Franciscan University of Steubenville in Steubenville, Ohio. And and Dr. Hahn pointed out uh, in when discussing discussing passages like this that this is this is the faith of the, the church from the beginning. You know, it almost sounds uh, if something like Joseph Smith might say, you know, more Mormon belief where Mormons believe that we become literally gods. Now this isn't Athanasius isn't a Mormon of course. Uh, but but the reality of what it means to be a, a partaker of the divine nature, to enter so closely, so intimately into God's own life that he can say, that that's what the incarnation reveals, that he says that for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. I mean, the... the the degree to which we enter into the Trinitarian life, that eternal outpouring of ecstatic love, is so deep and so profound that it would lead St. Athanasius, who, who is a great defender of Christ's unique divinity, it would lead him to say something like this, the Son of God became man so that we might become God. God's goal is for us to share his life with us. Not that we literally become gods, and we're not going to add uh, to the Trinity by thousands, millions, or even billions of, sa- uh, of, of those who are in heaven, of saved souls, saved human beings. Uh, there will always be the distinction between the creature and the creator. We will never be co-eternal, co-equal with God. But we will share his life. We will partake of his d- divine nature to such a degree that St. Athanasius can only express it in, in these p- powerful words. And then St. Thomas Aquinas, who I think oftentimes is wrongly regarded as sort of this cool, detached uh, intellectual, he uses very, very similar language. Uh, again, reiterating the same thing that Irenaeus and Athanasius centuries before him said. Aquinas wrote, The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. The only begotten son of God wanting to make us sharers in his divinity assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. Again, Thomas, uh, 
who by no means is an imprecise thinker or writer, uh, was so struck by the reality of the incarnation and, and, and what it means in terms of us becoming partakers of the divine nature, as again, St. Peter wrote, that to communicate the reality of that partaking would use language like this, so that God, he made man might make men gods. Allow that, just think about that. Pray on that, meditate on that. God loves us so much he wants to share his life with us so much that somehow the, the, some of the greatest intellects in church history, the, the, the most orthodox, fully Catholic thinkers, could only, put, could only communicate the reality of, of what, what it means to partake in the divine nature by saying things like this, that God became man so that we might become God, or that he made man might make men gods. The reality must be so profound that these that they could only put it this way. To to say anything less would be, would be to detract from from the glory of of our our adoptive sonship in the Father. God loves us so much; He wants to share His life with us so deeply that we enter into Him to into His life to such an extent that it would lead again these great thinkers to make these sorts of bold. Uh, initially wow kind of statements i mean to to believe that somebody like aquinas or athanasius or irenaeus could say these things especially if you consider in the early church all the heresies that were abounding about the nature of christ's divinity and so on the fact that they would still speak so boldly about what it means for us to be adopted sons and daughters of the father really communicates really says something about that adoptive sonship that we all particip- that we participate in, beginning again with our baptism. It, again, it already, it's, this is not just something that will happen in heaven. It already began when we were baptized. It's hidden in a sense. It's 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 obviously far from complete. We'll only be we'll only find completion and perfection um, at the end of time after our souls and our bodies are reunited. Uh, but but it began already. We are those. Everybody who is baptized in it is an adopted son and daughter of the Father. Doesn't matter if you ever go to church. If you go once a year, twice a year, or every five years, if you are baptized, if somebody is baptized, they are an adopted son and daughter of the Father. And at that moment of their baptism, they begin to share in the divine life. Now, maybe they've cut themselves off, themselves off from that life, but they are always able to be reunited to that life uh, through the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, and, and continue to, to grow in the mystery of, of what it means to an adopt, be an adopted son and daughter of the Father. Really, I, again, I think that fourth answer, fourth to the question, why did the Word become flesh, is really one that's in particular to, to reflect on marvel, and marvel on. But all four uh, of these answers should give us pause. And as, again, as I've said already, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, now is the appropriate time to reflect on, on the glory and the beauty, the goodness, the love, the truth of the Incarnation and what it says about God and his love Again, for each one of us and for all of us, as individual men and women and as the human family as a whole, what the, what the incarnation reveals to us about, about God and his view of humanity uh, is, is amazing and profound to make understatements of the year.
So with that, we conclude this uh, eighth episode of Prairie Room Companion. And again, please feel free to offer feedback. Uh, next time, as I said, we will have another interview with Father Martin Lawrence on the uh, nature of the, 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 the meaning of the Christ, Christmas feast and the Christmas season as a whole. So until then, thank you and God bless you.